Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. While we spend time in the Word, and if you turn to Hebrews chapter 2, we'll finish chapter 2 today. If you've not professed Jesus Christ as Savior, then the communion elements are to some degree meaningless to you, but they're very meaningful to the body of Christ, so much so that the Apostle Paul actually warned us to not partake of communion in an unworthy manner. And so, while we're studying God's Word today, in the quietness of your own heart, if the Lord should place it upon you to receive Him today, to ask Him, invite Him into your life to be your Lord and Savior, confess your sin, uh, that you would join us. But if you haven't, then we would encourage you uh, to not participate in communion, because it is a serious supper that we celebrate. Uh, If you're a believer... Let's go to the table freely, amen? Jesus in your shoes. As we begin the remainder of chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews paints a picture for us that is of utmost importance. Because sometimes we're tempted to believe that Jesus being God doesn't really understand what it's like to be us. But the fact of the matter is, Much as that old axiom states, you really can't know someone until you've walked in their shoes, which is largely true, I might add. Jesus has walked in your shoes. And in fact, chapter 4 is going to tell us he was in every way tempted as we are and yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be homeless. Jesus knows what it's like to be underemployed and dependent on other people. Jesus knows what it's like to be hated, despised, abused, falsely accused, hungry, thirsty, not have a home. Jesus knows what it's like to go through the things that you may be going through even today. Jesus has walked in your shoes. And this passage presents this wonderful truth so that we can understand that we have a high priest who knows exactly how to minister to us. He's not a distant high priest. He isn't someone who simply has a religious position. He literally knows what it's like to be you. Would you join me in prayer? And we'll pick up in verse 5. Father, we are so grateful That in your divine plan of sending Jesus, your own son, into this world to be our sacrifice, you, you sent him as a man, as Emmanuel, God with us. Lord Jesus, you took upon yourself the form of a man, as Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and you suffered even unto the death of the cross, but you didn't consider that robbery in any way, shape, or form. You did it because you love us. 
and you know us. And so as your children today, as your family, we submit ourselves to your word and to your will. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, into subjection of angels. Remember, angels are powerful. They're mighty. Uh, One wiped out 185,000 in the encampment of the Assyrians, so they're fairly formidable. Amen? But the world isn't under the subjection of angels. But one testified in a certain place saying, this is a Hebrew way of understanding, you know exactly where this is found. I could joke with you the same way and basically say to you, well, get out your Bibles. You know where this is. If I were to say to you, God loves the world, you would know exactly where to look, right? John chapter 3. A one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in the subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things under subjection of him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. We'll finish the rest of the verses as we journey through this chapter. We get to this amazing truth really at the end of this chapter of who Jesus actually is in relationship to you and I. But as a human being, Jesus experienced everything that you will experience in life. He was in every single facet of humanity tested. And in fact, if you remember the temptation of Jesus as he faces off with Satan... You can see the three component parts of how Satan attempted to test Jesus. He tested his mind, he tested his spirit, and he tested his body. And in all ways, Jesus has been tempted and tested as you are. Now see, if God had come, let's just say that there was no Jesus. Let's just say that God decided to come himself and he didn't have a son. Not true, but let's say he did. And God came from heaven as a regal being, fully in his glory, fully in his power and his honor. Had he come to the earth in that form, then everyone who would have seen him would have perished. Because the scriptures actually declare no one can see God and live. In other words, God in his majesty would be so extreme to the human experience that you wouldn't even survive seeing God. But when you saw Jesus, you could look at your brother or your sister. You could look at your mom or your dad. You could look at anyone who's like you are, a fellow human being, and go, God so loves me that he came to relate to me in a way that I would understand. You see, because I can't relate to a holy God. Oh, I can think about it. But if God were to come in his glory, 
I, I would be absolutely devastated in the face of the difference between the two of us. And so Jesus comes in his humanity. I love this. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus was a son. Jesus, no doubt, did chores. Jesus was hungry as he wandered with the disciples. Jesus got hot. You know, one of the things that you learn very quickly when you travel to Israel is it's hot. You get in the lower Jordan Valley and it's, it's pretty much like the equivalent of being in Palm Springs or Palm Desert right now. It's 118 degrees out there today. Jesus experienced these things. So when you think about Jesus and his relationship with you, he can identify with who you are. He knows why things bother you. He knows why those hurts that you've experienced actually hurt. He knows inequity. There's no one who's been more unequally treated than Jesus. He knows exactly what it's like to be falsely accused. He himself was falsely accused. He was actually put to death falsely accused. You ever thought about what it means that God would be mindful of mankind? There in verse 6 through verse 8, it presents this picture. And it's actually speaking of Psalm 8. So Psalm 8 is where the quotation comes from that's, that's referred to there. And think about it, if you would, for just a moment. God is mindful of us, and yet God created us. When you read the book of Colossians, it actually begins with this incredible picture of the creator. What is man that you're mindful of him, God? Right now, there are something on the order of between 8 and 9 billion people on this earth. But did you know that God loves every last one of us? He cares about your situation personally. He knows what you're going through. He understands all of the little facets of your life that you think nobody understands. Now let's face it, human beings are of very limited importance when it comes to comparing us to God, amen? If you want to look at it that way, he's the creator and we're the creation. And so Psalm 8, when it speaks of us, actually talks about the, the role that we do have. That God so loves humankind that he gave us this incredible earth to steward. He set us literally over his creation to steward it. And we haven't done a really good job of that. We kind of messed up on that front. And in fact, in Adam's sin, in, an, in effect, that sin has so affected the world that the world itself is actually groaning under subjection to this current environment, which is largely overseen by the enemy of our souls. Doesn't mean that God isn't sovereign, but God has given the enemy an opportunity uh, to be in this world and to afflict us while we wait on the age of grace to come to a close. So God has crowned us, and he actually says this in Genesis chapter 1, with some of his glory. He's given us a little bit of him. We're made in his image. That's mind-boggling to me. 
People often ask, well, what is that? Let me just tell you, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what that means. But I know this, it's so important to God that he let us know that truth, that we have been made in his image. In other words, the the very substance of who God is, he's actually planted into us. We were created in that sense. And I think there are lots of things that you could say, relationally. We weren't created to be alone. We've been created to be able to love. We've been created to actually create, actually in marriage, a minor picture of God in his creative force. But God gave us responsibility along with that authority. And so as he does this, he says we've been made a little lower than the angels. Why? Because the angels are a little more powerful than we are. But the angels don't get to do what we get to do. This is the crazy thing about this. The angels don't get to steward the creation. They actually serve you. They're actually here in our room right now, in this congregation. There's undoubtedly angelic beings watching over. Who knows? They're watching over the parking lot. Or maybe they drove with you on your way here if you were on the freeway. That's why you're actually still alive. The angels kind of were flying alongside, keeping, you know, a little force field of angelic hosts. I don't know, but they're actually more powerful than you are. But you have been given the opportunity to be a steward of God's creation. It's crazy. That's how much he loves us. Some people debate on these verses as to whether they're about Jesus or whether they're about humankind. I happen to believe it's fairly easy to see exactly who they are. I think that these verses are actually about us with a reference really to the difference between us and Jesus. And so when you look at these four reasonings, we have been given over some some dominion over this earth, but let's face it, sin has caused us to be greedy. Sin has caused us to abuse the creation itself. Sin entered into the world and through it death, and so we now have war and rumors of war and all those things that have come into this world that shouldn't be here but are because of our own sin. And so in that sense, God didn't create us to do that. So this pretty clearly lies with us. These are are our human problems. These are things that we have created. But we are superior to the creation. That's why it it really is kind of foolish to worship the dirt that you walk on. You've actually been given dominion over it by God. You're supposed to steward it and take care of it, but not worship it. Because there still is a creator that created it. And we worship the creator. We don't worship the creation. A third thing is the phrase son of man. You'll notice if you have an English Bible, it's not capitalized. That's because the writers understood the the reasoning behind this in the context of the conversation of the writer of Hebrews. It's just referring to the previous line. Well, who is that? Well, it's us. And so the correct interpretation of this is referring to humankind. It's you and me. God knows you and me. And he loves us so much that he's given us this incredible role In the world, something that no other being has. 
The author may have been thinking about a double meaning here, but I, I just simply believe that God's trying to draw attention to you, to me, so that I would realize exactly how special I really am to God. God actually loves me. God loves you. God loves us. And he's done everything he possibly can to prove that to us. You ever wondered why you think the things you think and see the things you see and hear the things you hear and I realize that these things are not universally applicable but think about it in the context of the greater humanity that we represent in this room. You ever wondered why your mind goes nuts when you see a beautiful sunrise or a sunset? Or, or why when you go to that, your special happy place, wherever that is for you, there's just a certain level of joy and it, and it just is a gift to you? Have you ever thought about the deep internal things that you think and experience and why they even exist in the first place when they have no evolutionary value whatsoever? Emotions are the... If you are a believer in Darwinian evolution, then human beings should not have any emotion. None. Zero. Why? Because they're not to your benefit. Altruism is the worst emotion of all. Doing good to someone else without benefit to yourself. Why would anyone ever do that? If evolution were true, then we should all be busy about killing each other and taking each other's stuff. That would be the best thing that we could do. But God created us with his image. We have been imprinted with the DNA to a certain degree of God himself. So we think like he thinks. We care like he cares. We have emotion like he has emotion. These are all actually proof that Darwinian evolution is false and that the Bible is true. Anybody that doesn't understand that having fewer kids is better than having more kids, you just haven't lived very long. Why? They're expensive. Isn't it weird how we actually don't care how much they cost, but we still love them anyway? That's because God's given you the ability to love the way he loves, to think the way he thinks. That's been planted into you. But the fact of the matter is we haven't done a very good job of stewarding those resources, whether they're physical or mental or emotional. We've kind of blown it in that. But Jesus actually became and did for us what we could not do. In other words, what I couldn't do for myself, Jesus not only did on the cross, but is continuing to do in the fact that I am being sanctified or made into his image. You see, it is Christ in me that is my hope of glory. It's not, well, I get Jesus and then all of a sudden I'm going to be a perfected human being. No, I want to be more like Jesus. Every moment of every day, I want to be more like Jesus. Not more like Bill Gates. Not, not more like Elon Musk. Not more like name your favorite philosopher. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to think like Jesus and act like Jesus and talk like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And so he gives us this authority, but then we don't quite, 
you know, run with it the way we should. So sometimes people ask me, well, why did God create flies? Or mosquitoes? Or poisonous snakes? Or why do bears eat us? It's the effects of sin. These things are in the world because of what sin has done. This is the evidence that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Because we don't live up to that God-given potential that we have, we have a tendency to simply rest in the things as they are, and we try and take dominion over what we can, and and we have a little bit of control. We don't have total control. Jesus has total control. And one day he's going to take that total control to its furthest extent. Right now he's not doing that. The creation is subjected in frustration, exactly as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. The creation is literally groaning. I was reading a bunch of articles this week about our next drought and the dried up reservoirs and all the things that we're going through here in California. And I just look at it and go, man, the Bible is true. The Bible is true. We keep messing with God's creation and it doesn't come out well. And that's not saying that I believe everything that is being purported to be climate change or anything like that. I'm simply saying these things are the effects of mankind's rule over this earth, which has not been godly. You see, what God's trying to say to us is there's still a way for us to go as humankind. There's still some things that God wants to teach us, God wants to do with us, to us, and through us. You see, Jesus is greater than the brightest human being. I was reading an article about Elon Musk, and you know, I gotta admit, I'm I'm amazed. It's like, how can one guy who, by the way, is on the autism spectrum, may have Asperger's syndrome, be that brilliant? It's just crazy. He's absolutely brilliant. But he's also kind of crazy. It's like the dude makes spaceships and launches them in South Texas and they blow up and he's like, well, I guess that didn't work. It's like, well, duh. It's like, yeah. On one hand, you've got Tesla. On the other hand, you've got a spacecraft blowing up on the launch pad. And the same guy did both. So humans are capable of amazing things. But Elon Musk is not God. And no matter how many things he builds, including this new spaceship that he says will be able to go to Mars within the next 10 years, Sometimes I think we have some people here on the earth that have already been to Mars. (laughs) They came back. (laughs) But one day, Jesus is going to square away all this stuff that right now is broken. It's busted. Jesus is going to finish off what he started at the cross. And so when Jesus came, he regained man's lost dominion. Notice verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, only in his humanity, by the way, he was still fully God, 
But Jesus actually took a step down by stepping into a human body. Think about it. He was restricted in that sense. Though still fully God, he could have done anything he wanted. He still had all the power, all the authority, all the glory. He could have done anything, but he restricted himself. He said, for them, I will be like them. Not because I'm less than God, but I want them to be able to relate to me. For suffering, the suffering of death, he was crowned with glory and honor. That he, by the grace of God, may may taste death for everyone. When Jesus died on Calvary's cross, it was sufficient for all humanity. Amen? Amen! It was sufficient for all humanity. I don't want to get into the argument, was it sufficient for the elect or for just the, you know, it's just, that's ridiculous. The Bible plainly states it was for everyone. It doesn't just mean the elect. It means everyone. To him who believes, Jesus is the answer. So as we look on this passage, what is the Lord trying to teach us? David marveled. David said the same thing in Psalm 8. He says, what is man? Why would God even care about us, really, is the inference. You know, one of the the most difficult things at times as a pastor is to do funerals and memorial services. Because you're, you're given an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, to try and communicate... In essence, the life of a person. To to speak about who they were, what they meant. Now imagine that you're God. And you're hanging on Calvary's cross. Who wants to do that memorial service? What do you say? When I'm tongue-tied talking about anyone's life, no matter who they were. Sometimes people will ask me, well, what do you dislike the most about ministry? I will tell you, I don't want to bury another person. I don't. I know I've been called to it. I believe that God's used me in that role. But it is soul-wrenching. Because I'm kind of an emotive person. And so I get into the emotions that other people are going through. And to do that, it just tears me apart. Imagine that Jesus knows you that well. So well that he can say everything that has ever needed to be said about you. And he goes to Calvary's cross to say, Jeff, I want to spend eternity with you. I want you with me forever and ever and ever. And so as the last Adam, you see, I couldn't do that for myself. Jesus purchased my salvation. He went to the cross because I couldn't go to the cross for myself. And I don't know why anyone ever thinks that they can, that they could earn their own way to heaven. But if you died for your own sins, you still would die in your sin. 
because you're imperfect. It took sinlessness to die for your sins. It took the perfect Lamb of God to die for you in your place to pay the price. In that sense, he is the great high priest. Jesus showed us that dominion while he was here on earth, by the way. He took dominion over beasts and domesticated beasts and became this last Adam and all these things. But had he not become man, if he'd not taken our pathetic flesh upon himself, then he couldn't have been sacrificed for us because he wasn't like us. He's a completely different being if you're talking about the eternal Godhead. He didn't need to die for himself. He needed to die for me, for you. And that's why this passage says, and it goes on to say, that's how he brought these many sons to glory. For it was fitting for him, verse 10, for whom all things and by whom are all things. That's the same truth as Colossians chapter 1, if you want to reference that. It's exactly the same truth. In bringing many sons to glory, you see, sufficient for all, but is only good for the many who believe. Those who receive. But to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Our salvation, their salvation, humankind. Jesus didn't need to save himself, he needed to save me. And so he captained my salvation. He said, Jeff can't do it for himself, so I'll do it for him. I'll take his sins, he can have my righteousness. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. Jesus was one of us. He's walked in your shoes. He was also one of one. He's the preeminent one of Colossians chapter 1. He's the one like whom there is no other. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. You ever thought about God, Jesus, God in human flesh, Emmanuel, actually calling you brother or sister? Why is that? Because he is. He's a fellow human in that sense. He also happens to be God as well. But he's walked in your shoes. He Can you imagine Jesus in Pilate's court? Have you ever thought about that scene very deeply? Think about it for a moment. Jesus, the creator God, is standing in front of his creation, Pilate. And Pilate says, are you not going to answer me? Have you ever thought about that scene? You think Jesus may have had a few things to say? Like, Pilate, I was there when your mom gave birth to you. And then goes through his whole life story and tells him how he got there that day. Jesus could have, but he didn't. Why? Because that would have only identified him with God the Father. And so he identifies with Pilate by not shaming him publicly. 
He could have said anything he wanted. He would have been 100% accurate. But he didn't. He held his peace. Fulfilled scripture in the saying of nothing, by the way. Answered not back. As a lamb is silent before its shearers, so the Son of Man would be silent. I will declare your name before my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am, I and the children whom God has given me. Who's the children that God has given him? It's you. It's us. It's a beautiful picture of who we are as God's kids. The word captain here literally means pioneer. It's actually kind of an interesting rendering. It would be like someone setting off on a voyage like, you know, Vasco da Gama or something. You know, you just hop on a ship and it's like, well, we believe that there's a new world out there, but we're going to go out there. We don't know exactly where it is, but we're going to go anyway. Jesus went someplace and no one, he was the first Star Trek captain. Going where no one had gone before and no one has gone since. Amen? Think about it. I know, and some of you are going, oh, he's lost his mind again. <laughs> but I think it's pretty good, actually. Jesus went where no one has ever gone. He's done something no one has ever done. He's done something no one will ever repeat. When Jesus died on the cross, it was one of one. There doesn't need to be another. In that sense, he boldly went where no one has ever gone before. Think about it for a second. If Jesus didn't go, then we can't go to heaven. So he became you because you couldn't go to heaven. Not because he couldn't have made a return journey. Jesus could have been born and said, hey, Father, can I, I'm coming home. And just gone. But that wouldn't have gotten you there. The focus was always you. The focus wasn't Jesus. Jesus came not to do his own will, but to do the will of him who sent him. Amen? Which was to make a way for you to go home. For you to go to heaven. Me to go to heaven. Us to go to heaven. So these ones that were given to him were all who would believe. In order to do that, he had to do something very specific. If you've not received the elements of communion, if you would simply raise your hand right now, we'll have one of the ushers bring those to you if you didn't get those when you came in the door. But I want you to begin to prepare your heart because the truth is, in his humanity, Jesus completely disarmed Satan and defeated death. Amen? That's what he did at the cross. That's why Satan was so enraged about it. That's why it was such a problem for the enemy. Because the moment Jesus died, death was defeated. Because all of us will one day die. But Jesus said, if you live and believe in me, even if you do die, you're going to live. Amen? So the writer of Hebrews picks up on this theme. Inasmuch as then the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through his death he might destroy him who had the power of death. Amen. 
Amen. That is the devil. The devil was destroyed. It doesn't mean annihilated. It means his work was defeated at the cross. The devil cannot take those who are the Lord's, period. You are in him. You are free indeed. That's what the cross did for us, church. Too many Christians walk around like they're kind of sort of saved. Like they're partially in the kingdom. Like if they just work hard enough, they'll eventually get there. No, the blood of Christ purchased your salvation and defeated death and Satan. Amen? Get that right. It wasn't kind of sort of part of the plan of God. It was the plan of God to send his own son into the world that the world through him would be saved. Saved, church. And release those who through fear of death. Man, how many people have been crippled by the fear of death? It is insane what people will do to try and prolong their lives. Hanging on. When you don't know Jesus, your last breath is a fearful thing. But when you do know Jesus, your last breath is the last one you have to take on this wretched planet. Amen? Amen. That is a monumentally different place to be. When I think about going home, I think about heaven. I don't think about Lomita. about heaven we're in all their lifetimes subject to bondage while we're here we're in bondage that's why hanging on to this life is really pointless for a believer there's nothing to be gained by staying here now let me say this God has given us a certain number of years and he knows exactly when it is we're supposed to go home we should not attempt to help God out okay So all those things that you're doing to try and get home early, stop that. But the point is this. You have a heavenly home and a heavenly father. And you have Jesus who's sitting at the right hand of that heavenly father speaking on your behalf. For indeed he does not give aid to the angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And by his grace, we've been adopted into that family, though we're not specifically Jewish unless you're Jewish. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to occupy the exact same heaven as y'all. I love that word. It's you and all. And it saves me time. Somebody wrote a very kind note on my Instagram. Said, you know, y'all's not a word. I said, tell the Texans that. <laughs> and my wife is from Fort Worth, okay? So we can use it in our house. We who trust in Jesus have been delivered from Satan's authority. Hallelujah. <laughs> And therefore, verse 17, the rest of the chapter, in all things, 
He had to be made like his brethren. You see, Jesus in heaven was not like us. He had to be born of a virgin. He had to come into this world. He had to be the son that was given and the child who was also born. In that sense, made. He became human. He became Emmanuel. That's how he identified with you and me as we started our study this morning. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. You see, the high priest really didn't have much in common with the common people. They were raised in religious homes, trained from a very early age. They lived set apart. There's a lot of things about the high priesthood that like they couldn't be less normal if they tried. They were literally raised in that environment to be that one thing. But Jesus became our high priest. He became like you. He suffered the way you suffer. He has emotions like you have emotions. But he became high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, to pay the full price, the full measure, all that's necessary. Every bit of your debt of sin erased by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? It's what Jesus did. You see, the high priest couldn't do that. The Hebrew high priest had no capacity whatsoever to actually forgive the sins of people. They could ask God for, in essence, a letter of forbearance. They could go to God and say, Lord, please look over these sins. Don't hold us accountable right here and right now. Pass over them. But Jesus actually paid the price. Full and complete. Done. For in that he himself has suffered. See this very clearly. He himself suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus walked in your shoes. Jesus walked in your shoes. And so when he went to the cross, he wasn't lacking any experience in being you. Church. If you've ever wondered if someone knows what it's like to walk in your shoes, your Savior does. Knows exactly why you feel the way you feel. Why those things in your life are the way they are. He's been tested. And he survived that test and he thrived in that test and then died for that test to make a way for you. In his humanity, he now can be sympathetic to you. If you take your elements of communion, and on the bottom you'll see a seal, you can peel that back and it will reveal the matzah. Communion bread, the unleavened bread. Interesting word there in verse 18. To come to the aid 
It, it is literally a word that the Hebrew equivalent is sokur. It means to hear the cry of a child and then run. To hear the cry of a child and run, you who are parents, do you not know your own children's screams, their cries? There can be ten children in a playground crying, and you know the voice of your child, don't you? You can pick it out. doesn't matter how loud it is. That's my daughter. That's my son. That's the picture here. That when Jesus hears the cry of your heart, he comes running. To prove that to you, he died your death on Calvary's cross. He took your sin upon himself and said, every time you get in trouble, Jeff, I'll come running. Every time you have a problem, I'll be there. Whatever you have need of, I'll be more than sufficient. He is my propitiation. He's my everything. And it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night he was betrayed, that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. I'll come running. All you got to do is cry out. As often as you eat of it, remember me. Let's partake together. We had a bigger problem. And that problem was not just our pain. It wasn't just the sin. It was the price of that sin. It was the cost of that sin. Because that sin was going to cost you eternity. Jesus, after supper, took the cup. When he himself had drunk from it, said this cup is the cup of the new covenant my blood shed for the remission of sin as often as you drink of it do so in remembrance of me would you stand and we'll pray together Jesus We thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. Thank you that you came running, Lord. God, I was a wreck. I was dead. And you came running. You heard my cry. And you paid the full measure. Lord, you joined me, you joined us in our humanity and allowed yourself to be beaten and bruised in our place. 
your blood poured out to pay the price for that sin that would have kept us from heaven. You are a great high priest that can identify with everything. And Lord, we love you for it. We thank you for your precious sacrifice in our place. Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to honor you. Help us to praise you. Thank you, Lord, for what you did on the cross. Thank you for being a great, great high priest who loves us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.